0: There's a short clip of Sheen with some really great language like, uh, the choice before the world is not a humanitarian state in communism, but brotherhood in Christ or comradeship and Antichrist. They have chosen that being the Soviets, that particular comradeship, it is up for us as a free nation to choose the truth, to choose the good and affirm God and the freedom of the people of the world. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Catholic Theology Show presented by Ave Maria University. This podcast is sponsored in part by Annunciation Circle, a community that supports the mission of Ave Maria University through their monthly donations of $10 or more. If you'd like to support this podcast and the mission of Ave Maria University, I encourage you to visit AveMaria.edu join for more information. I'm your host, Michael Dauphine, and today I am thrilled to be joined by uh, James Patterson, a, a professor of <laughs> politics at Ave Maria University and oh, a please. scholar of Fulton Sheen. Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's wonderful to be here, Doctor. Right. So uh, Fulton Sheen's kind of having a bit of a, I think, a revival. Yes. I, I, I run into a lot of even. I go around campuses and uh, if I'm giving talks with the Thomistic Institute or different things, uh, a lot of students will. Be commenting on Fulton Sheen. They, yeah. his, his YouTube videos are uh, you know I don't know how to put it are, are, are gaining a whole other generation. Of, yeah. of listeners and viewers.
0: Well, they don't uh, they don't make them like that though. You know he was a, he was a one of a kind talent when it comes to television and radio. He had a way of delivering the word in a way that was convicting yet also accessible. Absolutely,
1: and and really one of the a, a great theologian yeah. and probably one of the most effective apologists. Right. perhaps sure. in the Catholic American experience. I would the, say so. And yeah. certainly of the uh, 20th century. Uh, so today, one of the things I wanted to talk about is Fulton Sheen spoke a lot about freedom. Yeah, uh, And uh, you're right, there's uh, John uh, 8, has this beautiful line, right? If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. You will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, Fulton Sheen saw that this freedom that we were given was not merely an individual freedom. It wasn't just my my individual freedom from sin, but it was a much larger vision Mm -hmm. uh, for kind of a a freedom of, a a freedom not just from constraint, but a freedom for excellence, a freedom for God, a freedom for one another. So he thought this freedom was properly religious and theological But it also had political, economic ramifications. Oh, 100%. And and to a certain extent, to strip religious freedom of its political and economic ramifications was to actually make it no longer religious. Right. Right. And I think in our day, we have a hard time understanding this, we have a hard time kind of balancing. Uh, These different things, we often think of religion and politics and somehow in conflict. We somehow lowered religion, so now it's another political view. Whereas I think Fulton Sheen, because he sees religion and theology as so much higher, then it can reorganize political and economic liberties for human flourishing in a way that doesn't do violence to them. That's right. Yeah. Sheen had a, a
0: very different view of religion, especially the Catholic faith, obviously because it's you know his faith, our faith, which is that it's it's you're right to say that's high and that it is the end, right? Uh, we seek God by way of uh, the grace through His Church. Also, religion provides the foundation, and so it's under us. It provides us a steady support for understanding the world, uh, and as well as a source of commonality for us to to appeal when we disagree on policy issues but also the means to achieve the higher end by the grace that God gives us. And so uh, this idea of a public and accessible and constant presence of religion is very different from a very privatized kind of consumer model religion that we have today. And Sheen saw it
1: coming and was not happy about it. Yeah. So today we want to focus on this uh, book. I was, mm-hmm. we were talking with, and you've been studying Sheen, what, about 15 years now? Yeah, that's right. Uh, you wrote your dissertation in part on Sheen. You've mm-hmm. written a book on Sheen and, and other American figures who have attempted to navigate that's right. the, the, the world yeah. of both religion and politics. But when I asked you, you said, "What I said? What's your favorite book? Here? Freedom Under God. That's right." And uh, so this is a political scientist. Yeah, so this is so, the one for me. So Freedom Under God uh, was in, in written, published in 1940. That's right. Interesting, right? World War II has already started in Europe, mm-hmm. right? Uh, um, you know, the United States had not yet entered. And uh, but before we talk about that per se, I wanted maybe just for both our listeners in general. Uh, but also, you know, just to kind of highlight, you've also done for Ave Maria, a a, a short course for the Pursuit of Wisdom series, yeah, uh, focusing on Fulton Sheen. That's right, right. Called uh, "Taking Fulton Sheen Seriously." So, yes. uh, what were some of the th- key themes that you wanted to uh, help your you know your audience understand about kind of just Fulton Sheen's life, uh, what makes him so significant, and then also what. What do we need to learn from him today?
0: Yeah, so I open up with the comparison. Uh, uh, People often think of Fulton Sheen in Catholic theology, they think of Lawrence Welk in classical music, (laughs) right? Where uh, it's good television. You know, this is like Neil Postman's criticism of Sheen, where you had dumbs down Catholicism. Uh, And this could not be further from the truth. Sheen, of course, Irish Catholic, as you can tell from the name, born in uh, Illinois, in rural Illinois in the 1890s, Part of a large Catholic family, his father originally was lapsed, but he, after uh, uh, his his first wife died, his his first wife was Protestant, he marries a a devout Irish Catholic, sort of rejuvenates his faith. Sheen's raised in a very uh, faithful home, but also a very demanding home uh, in terms of academic excellence. His brothers become uh, professionals, he becomes a, a, a priest, incredibly gifted debater and speaker, uh, goes to St. Viator College, then he goes to Catholic University of America, gets his uh, canon law degree, I think, uh, and maybe his licensure there, I think. And then he goes to, and receives his Ph.D. from University of Louvain, is in the aggregate uh, program there, which is kind of like a super doctorate, he receives highest marks there, publishes his book with an introduction from G.K. Chesterton. The book's called God and Intelligence, and it is nothing like life is worth living and you know the divine sense of humor, this kind of more accessible stuff, It is a Thomistic critique of the philosophy of science, and it's incredible. But it's not what you would expect given all of the charisma and all of the passion and all of the performative and rhetorical gifts that Sheen has. It's, um, It's heavy stuff. And what this shows is that when Sheen was engaging in this kind of public form of a a prophetic uh, witness of the Catholic faith, he's doing so in a way that's deeply informed by the best of our intellectual tradition, but in a way that's not meant to intimidate or scare people off, in part because when Sheen's doing this, he knows he's with a very mixed religious audience. And so he's trying to find a way to reach out to more than just Catholics when he's doing this. And that sometimes is why people have this vision of him as, as, as a kind of, you know, I don't know, sort of silly or or watered down version of Catholicism. But in the course, what we look at are the heavy hitting ideas uh, about his, you know, a little bit on the philosophy of science, but more on his visions of of capitalism or economics, political uh, freedom, uh, regime, uh, all of which are, are very important to him.
1: And we find fleshed out here in great detail and freedom under God. That's a uh- Kind of fascinating, too, because that really is, in some ways, not only Fulton Sheen's own experience, it was kind of somewhat like the church's experience yes. in that age, this um, very, uh, you know, the the prevalence of Irish Catholicism. Yeah. Uh, it's somewhat deeply cultural and yet deeply evangelistic, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the, the Irish priests went all around the globe yeah. in different ways, and Irish Americans went all around the globe kind of preaching the gospel and, and communicating the faith. Uh, but also that deep intellectual tradition, right? That they, yeah. he is a Thomistic philosopher and theologian of the highest order, right? Uh, yeah, he went to Louvain. That's what they did there. <laughs> yes, yes. And when they and when they um, and Louvain is the Catholic University of Louvain, right? Right, right. In right. Belgium. and and he, right? He. I think you told the story, right? That uh, when he passed his dissertation, yeah. uh, Right. What?
0: Oh, so there's this ranking uh, when yeah. you when you finish the agrégé. Uh, what they serve is a way of letting you know your score. So if you serve, you're served water, probably shouldn't have even bothered coming. Uh, if they serve beer, then, you know, you kind of dragged yourself across the finish line. The, the most common service was wine, uh, which means that you passed. You did fine. And then for excellent passage, you received champagne. And as she, as Sheen says in uh, Treasure and Clay, the champagne was particularly sweet that
1: night. He crushed it. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so... Uh, y- there you see both not only his intelligence but also his right gift for storytelling. Oh, right yes. It is just kind of beautiful and and it's it's interesting this uh, treasure in clay, right his autobiography, I was, I was just looking it over and kind of preparing for this and and it's just beautiful at the end. He describes the three stages of his life mm-hmm. through three looks, right And he says that every priest in some ways imitates one of the apostles and oh, that yeah. it, he was Peter and he said the first look, Right of of Peter was that right when Jesus looked at him closely when his brother had told him that he'd found the Messiah um, and he felt that call and and he followed that call and really consecrated his whole life uh, to God and and there's that beautiful um, almost strength that comes yeah. from saying yes to God from seeing the look of Jesus closely. Uh, And then he looks at the second one when he says that Peter, after proclaiming Jesus to be the son of God and Jesus saying in Matthew 16, right, that you are Peter and on this rock, I'll build my church, Mm -hmm. right? Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. But then a little bit later, Peter says, um, you know, God forbid that you should suffer on the cross and Jesus very quickly without Mm -hmm. hesitating says, Right, get behind me, Satan. Uh, And, he says, in that too, he had to learn. He says, at first, he was a priest without being a victim. He himself didn't want to get on the cross. He wanted to be successful, effective as an apologist, as a preacher, as an evangelist, mm-hmm. as a priest, right? And and it was a you know later um, that he ended up kind of learning that he was not only called to be the priest offering the victim, but he had to become the victim. Yeah. As well, he had to learn to suffer, and then that last line is the third look, where um, after Peter has denied, right, Jesus, um, Jesus looks on him with love, and and Peter weeps, and so he describes that in his final trial, the final sufferings, even including right his open heart surgery, mm-hmm. um, some of his struggles, uh, and in the final. Appointment as a bishop, right? But this way that he sees his whole life through the three looks of Jesus to Peter, right? um, this deeply, just a life that's totally given over to his calling as a priest and totally given over to Jesus Christ and letting his entire life be determined by, right, uh, the various looks of Jesus at Peter and yeah. again at him.
0: He he his original name was Peter John Sheen. He took his mother's full name Fulton. Um, and yeah, people forget that Sheen goes off the air, uh, life is worth living in the 1950s, but he dies in 1979, two failed reboots, big falling out with his, uh, his superior and Cardinal Spellman. Yeah. At a less than successful role as Bishop of Rochester. Um, yeah, that's when he becomes a saint is in those trials. And, uh, he, it's, it's, it's
1: beautiful to finish those passages where you read about that discovery. Wow. That yeah. really is, that's, that's really amazing. And um, can you say more too, he's a venerable now, is that correct? That's right. It, there's a, So uh, that was rapid, his move from
0: the, the, you know, from servant of God to venerable. Uh, we have everything that we need for a case for beatification except permission. And it's kind of unclear what that is uh, for. There was some speculation had to do with, an um, with, his tenure as bishop at Rochester, which was only two and a half years, they wanted to make sure that everything was on the up and up there. But that was just a rumor. Uh, the reasons are are you know usually kept pretty pretty secret. Uh, sort of uh, the way they
1: do things. So I, I just wait patiently and pray that this will be resolved. <laughs> wow, that's 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 great to hear. And um, so maybe then let's you know for. Say for uh, viewers or listeners who aren't familiar with Fulton Sheen, mm-hmm. uh, what would be, are, are, are there, you, we've spoken a little bit about how his popularity on YouTube videos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Are there certain, where would you direct uh, somebody who just wants to learn a little bit about uh, Fulton Sheen in, you know, in act or mm-hmm. either a book or a video? Are there any YouTube videos that you might suggest? Well, I mean, of course, they should start with my short course, but uh, the... Yes, uh, and that, by the way, is available at the of wisdom, uh, dot org with yeah. Ave Maria University.
0: Yeah, and that's actually that, that course was built out from an article I wrote for First Things called Taking Fulton Sheen Seriously. There's a wonderful book uh, called America's Bishop that's on Fulton Sheen, and then there's Fulton J. Sheen, uh, Life of a Catholic. It's by Kathleen Riley. Those are two wonderful books. Uh, Treasure and Clay uh, is... Uh, it's, a, it's like a religious autobiography. It's meant to be didactic still for the reader. Uh, America's Bishop and uh, the Fulton J. Sheen biography by Riley are both more sort of third-person accounts mm. that are more are historical and critical. And it, it, there's, a, oh, I forget the name of the priest who wrote uh, the preaching that Sheen did, although that's like 100 pages long. I'm not sure if you have show notes, but you know I could maybe get you to link those. Uh, but the, it's a lovely book on that. Uh, and then there's uh, Selling Catholicism, which isn't as cynical as it sounds, which is a lovely book. It's a little more academic, uh, though. so if you don't mind a little bit of academic yeah. theory sprinkled in mm-hmm. there, these are these are wonderful places to look. But when it comes to what things you should read, uh, watch by Sheen, my favorite is uh, the one that he did called the glory of being American which is a shocking thing to say <laughs> you know most people don't feel like Amer- being being is all that glorious but uh, uh it is actually a it, it is a Catholic defense of the American project uh,
1: and it is it is gripping you know, wow. yeah wow that's my favorite yeah, one yeah. I know I've, I've I've read a very short homily uh, by Fulton Sheen on the mystery of Christmas and mm-hmm. I believe it's from a recording. Yeah. And I think you can watch it online. And again, it's one of those things that I think is just is kind of riveting. He, he says at the beginning that in every religion, every earth, you know, human religion and f- philosophical tradition, man is seeking God, right? Yeah. But only in Judeo-Christianity does God seek man. That's right? right. And in Christianity, right, God seeks man so fully right that he becomes a child. Right. Yeah. So that and that's what makes kind of Christianity different. And in that one instance, that little image, one, he's able to say there's gonna then be much truth in all earthly philosophies and religions, because those are the best of human beings thinking and seeking God. Yes. Right. And at the same time, you have the utter distinctiveness
0: mm-hmm.
1: of the gift of God in Jesus Christ, the mystery of Christmas, that only in Christmas does right God seek us out. So you have a great sense of both the appreciation for for this uh, broad tradition, right, of worldly world philosophies and religions, and at the same time, a disclosure of the definitive distinctiveness of Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah, and we're um, writing, we're sp- saying this during Advent, and he wrote a lovely sort of preparatory uh, Advent um, reading that you would do over the course of them. I've done it with my family before I'm going to get to Christmas and, uh, and all the stuff that Sheen wrote and spoke about on Christmas is really fantastic. Wow. That's good. Yeah.
1: And is it, is it true that you have a friend uh, that uh, came back to the Catholic faith or converted to Catholicism by watching uh, Sheen on YouTube? Videos? Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, so this is, I, I, was, I was teaching, I, w- I went to the university of Virginia and I was teaching a summer course and it was on American religion. So I just had them watch, uh, I think I had them watch uh, *Gloria* being American. I think actually, because and yeah, I I became his confirmation sponsor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not sure, you guys. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. people uh, people uh, listening to this may not know, but the University of Virginia has an incredible Catholic community. So he converts and uh, uh, reverts, really, and then it gets confirmed. But he's like welcomed into this community that's run by Dominicans. It's an mm-hmm. incredible place. So. Uh, it's so important to have those kinds of Catholic institutions at places like the University of Virginia so that they can have a home to go to.
1: That's um, that's beautiful. And know. I guess we do need to then put a little like, I don't know if we should have a warning. Uh, just, you know, be careful if you start watching Fulton Sheen uh, it's videos, you, 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 you may draw closer to the Catholic Church. It
0: was a bit of a scandal.
1: Like, you know, yeah. people would get involved mm-hmm. with Sheen and they'd convert to
0: Catholicism at a time when being Catholic wasn't necessarily... Well regarded. So, you know, uh, uh, an early in Sheen's uh, uh, career, when people would be seen with Sheen, they'd be immediately under suspicion uh, to the point where, you know, uh, that Sheen had to meet with some people in private, including Claire Booth Luce, who he brought into the church. Uh, these were secret meetings, and she decided not to run for Congress again for for her district in Connecticut, and she wouldn't say why. And then she comes out, says that she's converted to Catholicism. Right. It was Fulton Sheen that helped do it, and she reasoned she wasn't running when she didn't want to deal with all the anti-Catholicism she knew she'd face. So it's yeah. uh yeah.
1: So uh, even even today, long after his passing, he's still doing it. Yeah, and uh, so also for people who may not be as familiar, Fulton Sheen was. Had a huge radio show, yes. correct? In the 30s, was that about maybe like 15 years or so? And then, and then transitioned to TV. So he also mastered two genres. Which right. Is- the National Council of Catholic Man ran a show called um, The Catholic Hour. Sheen was in
0: its only guest, but he was one of their most prominent. And uh, there, there's a few modern publications of these things. Most of them are in these like really ratty paperbacks. CUA uh, archives, a Catholic University of America archives has all of them. Uh, but there's one called Justice and Charity that the Chesterton Society published. That's very good. It's uh, the Chesterton Society is big in an economic theory called distributism. So this is like their uh, effort to uh, show that Sheen was on their side. Uh, but it's 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 worth reading beyond their their causes for it because Sheen's view on these things is really good. But that is where he cut his teeth. Yeah, the reason why he was so good when he got on television, the reason he won the Emmy is that he had 15 years of media experience already. He was not coming in new to the game, as it were. And uh, he was just fortunate to have as compelling an, ap- an appearance
1: as he did a voice. Uh, yeah. They referred to his dark set eyes. Yeah, and when he, I also read that, you know, he would give, I think these were the, the TV shows were maybe like 27 minutes or something. Mm -hmm. It was like a 30 minute window, but not as many commercials as we have today. Admiral television sponsored the whole thing. Oh, not television, Admiral refrigerators. So he Mm -hmm. he had some extra minutes. Yes. And so, but I also heard that he would prepare the talk and then he would translate it into like Italian and then practice giving it in Italian and then trans. So he would spend about 30 hours every week preparing a so even though these don't necessarily, I mean, they, they, they look simple, uh, he really used not only his knowledge of the tradition, but also his knowledge of rhetoric to uh, to internalize these. Things. Yeah, he, uh, so people often
0: are so unfamiliar with public speaking, they don't know uh, how, to, how to even get started. When we teach students at Ave Maria, they have to do oral presentations, and this is usually the first time they've ever had to do it, and so they're shocked they don't think about what we do, right? We're often lecturing, uh, sometimes without notes. And the way that Sheen did it, he always taught without notes. And uh, it was because he rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. And the way that good homiletics would require, you always have things that are ready to go if you need to include them on something or if something doesn't seem to be working. So that was what he was doing. He He was practicing what are called set pieces. And there's a short clip of Sheen. I don't, recall which episode it's from I've, I've looked for it in a few places uh but it's just called on youtube it's just like fulton sheen condemns communism and he's going for like seven minutes I, i've memorized the whole thing but it's because uh, i've watched it so many times but at a certain point when he's uh, talking he goes it's twenty six forty. is it time for me to quit like he's he's keen on the time uh and it turns out that the time was wrong and it was twenty five forty. so he says oh one minute yet and then he just looks right at the camera and he goes, I just get so rattled. And everyone laughs. And uh, what's funny is you can hear in the background when he says at 26.40, is it time for me to quit? You hear people say, gasp and say no. you know. And then he wraps it up. But it was per- perfectly timed because in a way he was he was getting people so amped that it was too much. So he lets the steam off a little bit. Uh, and then he he finishes it off um, uh, with some, some really great language like uh, – the choice before the world is not you know, a humanitarian state in communism, but brotherhood in Christ or comradeship in Antichrist. They have chosen, that being the, the Soviets, that particular comradeship, it is up for us as a free nation to choose the truth, to choose the good and affirm
1: God and the freedom of the people of the world. So That's just like beautiful. bracing. Yes, yeah. i had heard also that he would have the last, and this sounds like a good example of that, he'd have like say his closing peroration. His yeah. closing was precisely memorized. Right. Yes. But then sometimes in between, you know, almost like a, a brilliant jazz musician, he could, he could move in different ways. Yeah. But it wasn't, it's, it's not extemporaneous in the way we often think of it. Right. right? It's, it's because he's completely, um, he, he's com- practiced all of these elements so much, right. You know, I don't know it's maybe, you know, something, it sounds silly to talk about this, but I think just at least for contemporary listeners, you know, who know like Tom Brady or something, Tom Brady practices everything. Yeah. So it looks, it looks spontaneous, but nothing spontaneous. No. Right. And and I think this element of this dedicated craft of public speaking, the dedicated craft of homiletics, it was, it was really at a peak, I think, in Fulton Sheen. That's Right.
0: Yeah, it, I mean, when you th- and the reason for this is that there used to be considerably more religious uh, and like high-toned religious uh, media. Um, there's a lovely uh, book by a man named Farley that compares Sheen to a, a Lutheran minister who um, was active at the same time and was just as well-trained in, in Lutheran theology. And it just goes to show that this is like a, a kind of Thing that still could be done mm-hmm. uh, if we wanted to do that. We have people like you know Bishop Barron that does this sort of yeah. thing. But okay. a big reason for this is that uh, back in the early days of mass media, one of the earliest adopters were religious organizations because they were trying to do this kind of uh, uh, electronic or uh, uh, electric, he was called the electric priest sometimes, okay. uh, uh, electronic forms of evangelization.
1: Yeah. And and you also even in, in one of your books you compare him to Martin Luther King, right, yeah, that's who also right. has a very rich rhetorical biblical style of, of speech that's really outside the scope of our contemporary. If you read his letter from a Birmingham jail or listen to his I Have a Dream speech, right, the level of rhetoric is I mean, is is is, is really phenomenal. And the
0: thing about being an Irishman, and people forget this now, is that you were kind of considered dumb. And so Sheen had to prove that he wasn't dumb, and he could do that by engaging in incredibly sophisticated arguments. And King's doing the same thing. He's a black man in a country that thinks very poorly of black men, and so he has to show them that he's got his chops. And so in the letter from Birmingham jail, he's responding to a letter uh, written by white clergy, and he's like, oh so we're gonna have this conversation, are we? And so he's, he, he uses Protestant theology for the Protestants, there's a Catholic priest who signed the letter, he speaks Catholic theology to them, and he does Jewish theology to the, to the rabbi, and that's part of the letter that I think people miss, is that he's showing that he can play on their level and win. And he does. I mean, we don't read the yeah. other letter. <laughs> Who reads yeah. the letter written to King, right? It's, that's em- great, it's yeah. actually kind of embarrassing to read when you read it. You're like, oh my goodness, why did you say this? Yeah, <laughs> uh, it is. And that's beautiful to see. He quotes yeah.
1: Augustine, quotes uh, Aquinas. Yeah. And um, so it is It is beautiful to see that. And I think just to kind of maybe l- learn to recover it. I think, uh, yeah, you know, uh, Bishop Barron, as many people have seen him as kind of a contemporary, Fulton Sheen, I think in our contemporary age, certainly the, the, the most prominent one who's deeply theologically, intellectually sophisticated, and at the same time, very effective at communicating with a broad audience. Uh, but I think it's something that we can all learn. Yeah. Uh, it, this is this is a practice. This is a habit. It's not, I mean, yes, uh, some people are more naturally gifted at it, but at the same time, we we can learn and we can grow in our ability to communicate in a broader environment. Yeah. So we're going to take a break now, and when we come back, I really want to dive into the book, The Freedom Under God, and especially, I think, Sheen's ability to be such a staunch critic, um, unrelenting critic of communism. And again, in 1940 and in the 30s, when as a whole, the West was rather appreciative of Stalin and communism. Mm -hmm. Even Orwell, who writes Animal Farm in 40 six becomes somewhat is is one of the beginning things to kind of like undo the West's somewhat love of communism. Yeah. So Fulton Sheen was way ahead of that. Way ahead. And, um, but at the same time, Fulton Sheen's also a very strong critic of this kind of individualistic liberalism of uh, kind of extreme capitalism. Yeah. Uh, both of which he sees as not proper to write the dignity of the human person as he sees that Catholicism opens up. That's right. So I'd love to talk about that when we return. All right.
2: You're listening to The Catholic Theology Show, presented by Ave Maria University and sponsored in part by Annunciation Circle. Through their generous donations of $10 or more per month, Annunciation Circle members directly support the mission of AMU. To be a fountainhead of renewal for the church through our faculty, staff, students, and alumni. To learn more, visit AveMaria.edu. Thank you for your continued support, and now let's get back to the show.
1: Welcome back to the Catholic Theology Show. I'm your host, Michael Dauphiné, and today I'm joined by uh, James Patterson, professor of politics at Ave Maria University and a scholar of Fulton Sheen. And uh, so today we are going to talk about Freedom Under God, his 1940 uh, book. And so I'd love just to, you said this is your favorite book. Yeah. Tell us why. So um, Freedom Under God published
0: in 1940 um, at a time when the world is in conflict, but also the church is in conflict. The church internally has been dealing with a lot of problems, uh, specifically with uh, the rise of both liberalism in the 19th century, which is uh, a a problem for the uh, the church, but also socialism as a kind of successor ideology to liberalism. And the way that a lot of people look at this period in history is that you have a kind of uh, liberalism fighting against fascism, and then liberalism after the the war's over, Second World War is over, fights against communism. And Sheen wants nothing to do with this way of thinking about this because he sees both as
1: problematic. And could you just as a maybe, you know, just explain exactly what you mean by liberalism? Absolutely. Fascism and communism.
0: Yeah. So the idea is that behind liberalism, as Sheen understands it, uh, is the idea that the individual sets whatever the good is and that the uh, the role of the state is either to get out of the way of the individual pursuit of that good or to provide the material assistance in pursuit of that good. Uh, And so uh, there is no objective sense of the good to which we're obliged. Uh, And Sheen regards this as not just itself an error, but also an unstable ideology. And what he says is that it necessarily leads people to prefer something like socialism because liberalism can never, as a system, provide this material assistance Uh, uh, or enough freedom for the person to be happy. And so they'll seek an even more radical version of it and the state control of the means of production to provide this for everyone. And more importantly, uh, because no one can be happy under this system, then at least they want to prevent other people from seeming happy. So there's this kind of like viciousness that's unleashed. This is why he
1: says what liberalism sold at retail, socialism sells at wholesale. Wow. Wow. So it's really focused in a way. Liberalism is on an individualistic material good of each Mm -hmm. individual's choosing. So then the society cannot have a common or shared good, but really just a collective interest. Lots of individuals that are trying to make money and be happy in a way. And then because, of course, you can't ever do that and the Mm -hmm. government can never make everyone have more stuff, then it will almost kind of naturally collapse into this call for all the individuals who don't have enough or get frustrated with the society's inability to give other people enough, will then just say kind of like, okay, well, the state should take over everything, Exactly. And so, you know,
0: he doesn't just do this from the position of of charting intellectual history, that wouldn't be enough. Uh, Sort of, he illustrates this by uh, appealing to different kinds of governments that emerge, that are constantly attempting to accommodate these ideological demands and how they become increasingly repressive uh, in order to to suit them. And while they're doing this, they're repudiating the Catholic Church in order to make this better. Uh, The Catholic Church is in a, a difficult position in Europe, as well because uh, during the 19th century with this uh, liberal sort of materialist ideology uh, they're also attempting to defend older regimes that they had been more comfortable with like monarchies Uh, and so the the church is stressing obedience uh, much more than it is uh, liberty and what's funny is this actually puts the American Catholic Church out of step with Europe. Europe. Europe, European Catholics are trying to prevent what they see as liberal and socialist revolutions, right? They'd had Napoleon before that, they had the you know the uh, other problems with the French Revolution, they had the 1848 uh, problems, or all these things that have surfaced. And in the United States, Catholics are dealing with anti-Catholicism, but they're benefited from actually engaging in political liberty. And so what's funny about um, this period in the late 19th century is that the Catholic church actually condemns some of the things that the American church is doing and uh, because of the problems that they're dealing with in Europe. And then when the problems in Europe get so bad, they actually kind of come back to America and say, well, eh, maybe we were, we were a little hasty. Right. And so this is the condemnation of Americanism and Sheen comes out full force in freedom under God defending Americanism. So how is it that Sheen is defending a heresy? The answer is that it wasn't really the heresy he was defending. Uh, but this is the, the curiosity of this thing. And freedom under God is this like major step forward in the way uh, Catholics in the United States get to think about their faith in a way that's different from trying to work within the European
1: framework. Yeah. One of the things that really impressed me in uh, reading over Freedom Under God by Sheen is that I think, let me put it this way, when, when I hear a lot of people today, uh, sometimes in the church but are outside the church, who criticize capitalism,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they almost always want to propose a statist solution. Right. So they're criticizing something in capitalism and then having this idea that if the state takes over this, it'll somehow solve the problems, which always just seems to me to be Bizarrely, if, if human beings aren't trustworthy in capitalism, why human beings would be trustworthy to run everything as a state when the state can't actually, you know, then you have really the collapsing of of power, both political and economic, um, not just into the, the, the general oligarchy that's going to happen between wealthy and powerful people, but actually just all one group of people, mm-hmm. right? How that would solve the problem, I've just never understood, right? But what Fulton Sheen does that I think is just so unique is he just constantly keeps harping on the basic idea of you have communism as a it's a robust ideology. It, it's, 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 he thinks it's false, but he thinks it's, a, it's it's a coherent, or at least it's a consistent view of doing something. and then and that he's constantly criticizing. And then at the same time, he's also criticizing this liberalism and extreme capitalism yeah. as an also focused only on the property, or like the individual's ability to own more stuff, get more profit. Um, so whatever c- the solution that Catholicism is offering is not a statist solution, right? And I think this is something that I th- think almost because of the triumph in a part of liberalism and socialism and, and communism, we're not even aware that there's a non-statist option, right? And so could you talk a little bit about how does he? What, what does he mean in terms of his critiques of these two, and, and how is it that Catholicism offers this third way? Yeah. So
0: the, in, in Europe, the third way had been uh, often described as a kind of keeping national uh, the state as a kind of guarantor of, of material well-being. And so you had socialism, and you had nationalism, so you had national socialism. Oh, I don't like the sound of that, right? Uh, and in fact, the problem that the church dealt with is that it, it had to sort of sometimes negotiate with them. Sometimes it was the, 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 the worst option besides communism were people like Francisco Franco. And so that was the third way you got there. And what Sheen wants to give you in Freedom Under God is a third way that doesn't require that kind of third way. And that third way is one in which the first thing you do is recognize that the path to communism is actually to begin making concessions to liberalism, wherein we assert that the good is primarily material. And the problem that you run into as soon as you start um, demanding that the material is the good is that you're dealing with a problem of limited access as well as limited number. So the state then becomes the arbiter of distribution. Of these material goods. And and as far as Sheen is concerned, this sort of zero-sum outcome is not necessary because what Catholicism provides as a definition of the good is something that is not zero-sum. It's infinite in God, right? And it's universally accessible through his church. And so uh, this sounds like uh, a dodge, right? Because there are material problems in the state. But his response is that Uh, The way that we deal with those material problems is by first consulting with the wisdom of God and receive his grace. And what we will see is that the proper organization of institutions as free institutions is more easily understood when we lower the stakes of material goods. Because now we're no longer dealing with the only thing that matters. Now we're dealing with something that is merely a means to a superior end. And by lowering the heat on this dispute, now you're no longer dealing with like, oh, no, dictatorships. Oh, no, communism, right? Now what you're dealing with is disagreement on what to do when going forward on on an issue. And the common ground that the church provides is so useful for this
1: because you don't have to do it all by yourself. Yeah, it's really... A fascinating way you describe that because, yes, you're right. If the only goods are material goods, property um, that's external that I can own, or money that I can have, or toys, or you know, things like, or you know, even food, right? These sorts of things, then necessarily, um, you know, you're it's, it's you're, you're you're gonna those are scarce. Mm-hmm. Where if I can raise up to the idea, wait a second, what about love? What about familial bonds? What about Worship. What about music? I mean, just so many other things that can be understood—cultural goods, religious goods, familial goods, friendships, ways of life. Um, he even talks about, like, the the importance of, like, the dignity of work, working mm-hmm. as a sense of pride, right? As a certain sense of ownership—that I have a kind of ability to make a contribution. All these goods, if these are seen as the higher goods both on the human level and then even on a religious level, It it is interesting. That really does then make, so it is going to be hard to figure out how to to balance profit sharing. He writes a lot about profit sharing and trying to get, um, but he also talks about that you need both, you know, uh, capitalists and labor. Labor on its own is going to be just as corrupt as capitalists are going to be corrupt. Every human being is going to be corrupt and not want to share. So I think it's a fascinating way of trying to raise that. And Uh, It's interesting. He does, uh, and this is page 42 and 43. I just wanted to share this with, uh, because I think the way he sets it up here is both intellectually rich, but also uh, kind of, it's like rhythmically, it's like fun to listen to almost, right? He talks about property is helpful for freedom, right? So property is not, again, he doesn't say the material possessions are unimportant, Because the ownership of external things is the sign of freedom. The church has made the wide distribution of private property the cornerstone of her social program. There are three possible solutions to the problem of property. One is to put all the eggs in a few baskets, which is capitalism. The other is to make an omelet out of them so that nobody owns, which is communism. The other is to distribute the eggs in as many baskets as possible, which is the solution of the Catholic Church or to characterize them differently. Capitalism is selfish possession. Communism is personal dispossession with collective selfishness. Or Catholicism is diffused possession.
0: Yeah, you can see why uh, distributists, uh, people who are in favor of this idea of diffused possession, Uh, look to Sheen. And Sheen's very concerned about this, because as we see uh, in this chapter called The Economic Guarantee of Liberty, he believes that this is just simply, it is impossible to live in a republic, uh, uh, which is what the United States has in in its constitution, without the people who live in that uh, republic possessing a certain minimum uh, standard of living. Uh, and so what he's attempting to do, as you see, like throughout the chapter, he's applying Catholic social teaching. Right? We've got uh, uh I can't say this, I'm uh, Anno, uh, yeah. uh, uh, cited uh, throughout the whole thing to kind of uh, to make this case. But uh, in order to have that that quality of life necessary t- to engage in a political freedom, you need property. You need something to call your own. You need something that you want to defend. You need something that is the basis for taxation that you will cultivate uh, in order to assure its maximum value. But if you make the law uh, concerning property uh, too beneficial to elite interests, that uh, what you end up with is the dispossession of the poor in favor of the rich who control the capital, what does that render the the poor? It renders the communists right because now they have nothing. They have no stakes in and uh, the, the defense of private property. Uh, instead, it is purely something that is external to them, and they want it back.
1: Yeah. And so, how then? You know, again, if we're if if we hear his you know consistent refrain that we need a more diffuse ownership of property, right? Um, you know, how, how do we avoid then the communist yeah. solution or, you know, he said basically what he, she calls the dispossession of the person, right? You lose the person, you lose the eggs and you have, end up with an omelet, right? And yeah. so you end up with a state control of everything. And he describes it as just collective selfishness, right? So how do we, how do we like, what, 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 is, what is the option in a way that he really puts forward that he thinks will actually help? People discover a higher mode of liberty. So people have property in their labor. This is why you, were, as you
0: were saying before, he stresses so much on the dignity of labor. Uh, and the reason he stresses this, we have to remember, he's writing in the ni- in 1940. A lot of what you're seeing here is the product of work that he's been doing in the late 1930s. So we're looking at the Great Depression as strongly informing him on this. Sheen also comes from a you know an agricultural background. One of the things he disliked the most about um, going to events was he would eat these chicken dinners and he hated chicken dinners because all he did as a kid was ring chicken necks at a agricultural, at a poultry uh, farm, you know. Uh, so, But he is aware of how this labor can sometimes feel undignified. Uh, by having property and labor, what you are possessing is something that God has given you. And because it has this divine gift component to it, the obligation is now on people who employ labor to treat those people as persons, not as individuals, right? This is that the individual is a liberal conception here, meaning it, that anyone is indistinguishable from the next, right? Where you can lay some people off, get a new people in. They, there's no difference among them. And for Sheen, they're persons. So they have distinct, uh, distinctiveness. They have personality, both literally like they're persons and personality uh, in a, a more conventional sense, that they have their own sort of quirks and and habits and virtues, and so they should have, by virtue of these gifts, participation in the organizations they work within. And what's funny is that this sounds like he's describing unions, but it's not quite that. He has uh, what we almost would call a more German way, of, because this is how the Germans do it, where there's like internal uh, labor governance over over the corporation. Um, right down to the fact that he wants them to have an hour in which during the day they can go to religious services, which is uh, one of the more, uh, you know, at the time he's saying this just doesn't sound that radical, but now it sounds like uh, (laughs) one of the most radical
1: recommendations you could make, you know, Uh, let alone a a moment of silence. Now you have a whole hour to go to mass. Yeah. Um, On page 131, as he talks about labor, he says there are three choices before it, Number one to work for a boss, which is capitalism. <laughs> Two to work for the state, which is communism. Or three, uh, and by the way, I just love the fact that he always just kind of like he always he just goes so much out of his way to um, re- like remove the illusion that somehow communism is like he just goes through everyone's poor human beings are always poorer under communism. Yeah. They 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 starve more. They have fewer. Uh, like stores are not open. There are not enough stores. There are lines. He just goes through every time, like so. This, I, this, this fantasy that people have that somehow, if the government takes over running everything, like it, it'll work. It just, it, it, it just won't. So he just, I love the fact, he just says, you're just going to be working for the state yeah. and getting less toys and less food. Um, or he says three to work for himself in the sense that he shares in some way in the profits, management, and ownership of industry. The church begs labor to take a long view and to work for co-partnership in industry. The solution of the church is the golden mean between a capitalism which emphasizes the only, only the individual aspect of labor, pays a wage, and ignores its social contribution, and communism which emphasizes only the social side of labor and ignores man's personal rights. The church insists that both suffer from the same fallacy. They look upon man only as a consumer. I mean, it is, it is, it is really
0: powerful stuff. This is 100% true. And uh, the, by looking at uh, man as consumer, what you're looking at man as is a person who uh, the state or uh, the boss can exploit. Right, by using their consuming role, but it's also dehumanizing. right? Uh, now people are only human insofar as they continue to consume. Uh, and so at Sheen, when talks, talking about the dignity of labor, this is not rhetorical flourish. This is theological understanding of the human person. These are people made in the image of God who are related to one another uh, within their families and extended families Uh, They have a role to play in this world. They have virtues to to cultivate, and they have obligations to discharge. And if they're treated as consumers, they won't be able to do that as well, and they won't be habituated to doing it in the first place. Yeah, so
1: he really is one of the first ones to not just diagnose consumerism But to see how that consumerism is at the heart of both capitalism and communism. Right. Right.
0: And, and, um, you know, uh, we are very familiar with those criticisms of capitalism today. Right. Like the the, how many different kinds of Oreos do we really need? Do we need a pumpkin spice Oreo? Uh, But in the case of uh, in the case of communism, this is really Uh, Which Sheen's most worried about. This is why he's talking to labor here, which is that you have communists within the labor movement advocating for communism as a solution for uh, working people to get basically revenge on their bosses and then their bosses' money. Uh, And so the reason why it's so important for him to talk Turkey about how this will actually just make everyone poorer and the state more powerful. Is really essential because you know it's not obvious to people in the ni- in 1940 to 1939. Yeah, right. uh, he needs to bear witness to
1: this fact. Yeah. And and it seems like it's not obvious to a lot of people today. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think a lot of probably you know it's pretty close to probably half of the voting uh, population in the U.S. Might I don't know who knows, but certainly a number of people would vote for a mildly you know socialist uh, communist solution to these elements. The idea that the government ought to take over, redistribute things around, um, you know, uh, whether or not it's to address um, issues with identity politics or identify uh, or solve problems of wealth inequity and uh, racial inequity and these other things that, you know, and and interestingly, younger people seem even more, you know, um, but it's interesting, every group that has experience of communism It's like has I hates it. But 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 why is it in a way that people still always find this idea that communism might be like it would it's better than the problems we have? Just like let's tear down the system. It's unjust. Um, Why? Why do you think people have that tendency today? And what does Fulton Sheen have to say to them?
0: So um, I always like to remind people that often who you're dealing with when you see people that are advocating for some kind of like 21st century reinvention of socialism is that the people making those positions often see themselves as running state. They don't see themselves as benefiting from the state. They don't see themselves as The ordinary citizen receiving state benefits. They see themselves as designing the programs to distribute those state benefits. They see themselves as running the numbers on cost benefit analysis of what benefits to extend. In other words, they're justifying their position of authority within that system. Uh, And Sheen was well aware of this tendency uh, and talked about the uh, betrayal of the intellectuals uh, who because intellectuals will see themselves in that position will justify that regime because it'll elevate their own station. Uh, And what he explains is that this happens a lot in the buildup for some kind of revolutionary activity because they're useful for the propagation of favorable coverage for communist ideas. But these people, because they're independent sources of political influence, will eventually find their way in the camps
1: yeah so kind of in a way, the elites, and this is why you see people, you know, you were at UVA, I was at Duke, yeah. all these different schools, all of the people that come out of these schools are kind of gravitate to uh, being you know this kind of this seemingly, this kind of rather strong sense that there'll be some kind of helpful socialist communist, you know w- would would be a good thing is in part because they presume that they're going to be in the party. Yeah, they're going to be in the party manipulating the levers of power. And what they don't realize is that no one is in the party. Like this is this is what this is what Fulton Sheen says. He says so. You know, Stalin claims that it's a democracy, right? but it's a democracy. But you can only vote for one ticket for right. the party. And he says, right in the party, they have no authority because they're under they're under the dictators. And, and he goes through he actually lists all the different people that have been shot because when you have a disagreement with a boss in the party, you get shot because it's a crime to disagree in a way with the party or the dictator. And so therefore, right, he he really kind of unmasks it. But it's interesting. I think that's a great way of putting it. It's like people don't see that today because, again, they imagine themselves being the ones to decide who gets to, like, you know, who gets what. Yeah. Um, in
0: 1949, he publishes the bestseller, Communism and the Conscience of the West, where he does this. And what's incredible is that it competes with – Uh, What was the man's name? The man who wrote, oh, Paul Blanchard, who wrote uh, American uh, Democracy and Catholic Power. And what he argued, what Blanchard argued was that um, if you're opposed to communism, you need to be opposed to Catholicism because they're basically the same thing and how they operate and what they recommend and they competed for their position on the New York Times bestseller list with Sheen eventually went, uh, winning out. But what's funny about that, about Blanchard is that uh, uh, he was nominally, he was a Congregationalist minister, but he later, later becomes an atheist, you know, like, you know, it says it was all just something he was doing to drum up uh, opposition to the church, which he thought it had too much influence in society. And the influence that it was having was it was, pr- it was explaining to people what the real track record was with communist revolutions. Mm-hmm. We know how bad fascism was. Communism yeah. is no different just because it uses different colors and slogans, it's still just as dehumanizing and brutal. Yeah. Uh, it's really kind of chilling in some ways to see that. Uh, and he got and, in trouble for it, Sheen did. He actually, yeah. during one, an aside that was clearly not part of the rehearse thing, he actually says when he's condemning communism, he says, I was not allowed to say these words during the war. So it takes, takes direct aim at the late Franklin Delano Roosevelt.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, Thank you so much for walking us through uh, "Freedom Under God." Uh, what a beautiful book! And I, I, I love the fact too that, in some ways, if we are dealing with human persons, mm-hmm. then the solution has to be personal. Yes, like this is if, if if we're dealing with consumers and all there are are material goods, then the solution can be material. I can get a policy, a redistribution, and therefore it will feel like I've solved the problem. Of course, all I've done is destroyed and dehumanize people. <laughs> I think what people sometimes don't like is that the the personal solution dealing with human beings is n- it, it's not as breathtaking, like you know, because you 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 can't so to speak force human beings to be generous to profit share. You have to encourage. You have to do these things because the personal solution doesn't mean you can't have certain laws or different things like that. But again, you have to have things that are. Uh, belong in a certain sense to the um to the proper dignity of the worker the proper dignity of of the owner right and that you are recognizing that that personhood and therefore calling on that person to exercise their freedom in in a proper way that recognizes their duties and obligations to other human beings and ultimately to god
0: and when you see that uh the other orientation to the person is that you won't be so concerned with your own elevation because of your sort of control over material circumstances. And, you know, it's it's worth noting that the devotion to this was something that Sheen constantly advocated. He talked about uh, one hour before the Blessed Sacrament were feasible, and, of course, that's where Sheen died. He died in adoration of the Blessed Sacrament.
1: Wow. I knew that he, uh, did the, um, he was, was for his priesthood, uh, spent an hour a day in adoration, but I didn't yeah. know that he died during adoration. Yeah, that's where they found him before. That's uh, amazing. His private adoration. Well, um, you know, again, uh, James P- Patterson, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for, um, helping to really make Fulton Sheen known to another generation. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's a, a real, a great gift, uh, for listeners who are interested, uh, one of the earlier episodes, uh, that came out in, uh, November 15th of 2022 was Who Was Bishop Fulton Sheen? Uh, And uh, we uh, sat down with um, Dr. James Patterson at at that time as well. Also, people who are interested, look up the short course Mm -hmm. uh, that uh, Dr. Patterson offers with Ave Maria's Under the Pursuit of Wisdom short courses on taking Fulton Sheen seriously. Thank you uh, so much for being on the show. Thanks, Dr. Duff.
2: Thank you so much for joining us for this podcast. If you like this episode, please rate and review it on your favorite podcast app to help others find the show. And if you want to take the next step, please consider joining our Annunciation Circle so we can continue to bring you more free content. We'll see you next time on The Catholic Theology Show.